Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with award-winning health expert, disabled Air Force veteran, author, and survivor, Nicole Kerr. She is the co-author of Eating the Rainbow, Lifelong Nutritional Wellness, Without Lies, Hype, or Calculus. She has appeared on CNN, PBS, CBS, ABC, and the Food Channel as a host of other TV and radio shows to share her unique perspective on wellness, lifestyle, and nutrition. Throughout her career, she has focused on supporting people from every walk of life to make realistic, meaningful choices for lifelong health and well-being. She survived a near-death experience and has a fascinating message and overall story. Enjoy this interview. Where are you located? I'm, Nicole, it's Joe I'm in New Bern, North Carolina. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing well today. Where are you at? I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, okay. Say so where the Noose River and the Trent River meet. Yeah, I if, if there's any part of the country that I am just not familiar with, it's the Carolinas. And I have done a lot of interviews lately with a mix of people that have been from the Carolinas. So there's something about my trajectory right now that's honing in on that area. <laughs> Well, maybe you can come over here and meet us all. <laughs> yeah, I think there's. I think the universe is saying something to me. I might need to respond. <laughs> well, sure. thank you so much for having me on your show today. Yeah, hey, thank you for taking some time out. And, you know, before we get into your book going to number one and all these great things in your life, I want to know, how did you survive COVID? What did COVID, going through the process, of the pandemic, how did it change you, and how are you now on the other side? Well, first of all, I never got COVID, so I'm very grateful for that. Um, my background is public health. I have a master's in public health, so I am very much a believer in doing the things that the government asked in terms of the masking and the social distancing and, you know, vaccines, that that's all um, important things to do. You know, that they may not have done it the right way, but... Um, you know, I actually used that two years to help me go deeper in my healing experience and finish this book and get it out. So that's how I used my time. And we moved from Hawaii to New Bern in that time frame as well. And I was just born 33 miles away in Camp Lejeune, which is a military base. So I had really come full circle in my life and it's not just geographically it's it's in my near-death experience and everything and that's why I feel like you know it was meant for me to come back here to finish it um, because I've been working on this baby for 13 years and um, it, I just can't believe I actually did so I'm it, curious. You know? yeah so I'm curious if you were in front of a group of elementary school kids right now they had a ask you, what do you do for a living? How would you answer it? Well, I've created a new term, and this is something that they can do. If they don't have, like, a title that fits them, they can create their own, and that's what I decided to do. And so I'm calling myself an eternality advocate. Not eternal, not eternity, eternality and most people don't even know that that's a word. And then you go, well, what the heck does that mean? And it means um, actually the quality or state of being eternal, you know, that you have no end, your ceaselessness and endlessness and, you know, everlasting world without end, you know. And I remember in the Lutheran Church, we used to be Catholic, well, glory to God, 
to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. That's what that is, everlasting. So I want people, and especially children, to start becoming, to, for us to get off of this doom and gloom mindset that our particular culture has around death and to start seeing it as a positive because it's going to happen to all of us and we need to be prepared for it and we need to understand it's a beautiful thing. So let's go back in your life. Talk to me a little bit about how, where you were born and raised and how you got this motivation to be where you are today. I mean, you're obviously a very highly motivated writer. You're a military veteran, healthcare. But how did all this begin for you? It began, I was raised in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay, so the heart of the, the deep south. So when I went to school there, uh, raised there with a military father who was a Marine. So do you remember the movie, um, The Great Santini? Yes. That's kind of the way I was raised, okay? It was, you don't question his word. And so I, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and I grew up in the Lutheran Church, because my mother was Lutheran. She is from Ukraine. And my dad, of course, was Southern Baptist. So um, we spent, all, somebody said, well, what was the worst part of it? I said, it was just all the time that we spent in church, because we had to go in the morning, and then we had to go in the evening, and then we had to go Wednesday nights. And, you know, it just, you didn't get to question anything. It was all just, this is the way it is. And it instills a lot of fear in you. And so, you know, and my father instilled a lot of fear in me. So I became a people pleaser. And that's why I went to the Air Force Academy was to please him because he was a 1960 grad and he wanted one of the four kids to go. And my brothers weren't, um, weren't going to be able to make it in terms of the testing and all of that, and either with my sisters. So they just admitted women to the academies in 76. So I was the sixth class of women, and I, I, I was selected. I passed all the tests and got the congressional nomination and went up there and couldn't believe what I did to myself. I just was not prepared for that level of abuse. And truly what the military is about is it's training to defend this country through killing people and through, you know, um, just, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what it amounts to. And uh, my soul was in the wrong place and I struggled uh, academically. I struggled with the, just the physicalness of it. Um, but I made it through the first year and then the second year, it just kept, you know, it's going to get harder academically, and the second year is when the crash happened, right at the beginning of the second year. So um, that was the end of my career, and I'm now a disabled veteran, and it's taken me 37 years to get my rating to be 100%. I have, I have gone back and forth with the VA, and I can empathize, sympathize with all the veterans who are trying to get what's due to them you know, for their injuries and how the the government, you have got to be so persistent and it's the way it's worded. I mean, it is, it's, it's a bunch of hoops you have to go through and be persistent and have an advocate for you. So my dad was born in Brooklyn, raised in Long Island and joined the Air Force to get out and got stationed here in Kansas City. And I think about his life. He passed in 08, but he had a lot of health problems. 
And mm-hmm. if he didn't have the coverage from the VA and the military, I don't know what he would have done. But it goes back to what you're even saying, too. You know, he didn't push us to get in the military, but we heard enough from him about the, what, the environment and the way it was. And I just couldn't see myself going in there. I mean, I understand exactly what they do and the benefits and the residuals, but uh, that's a rough life, I'd imagine. Yeah, and it teaches people not to feel. It's, yes, you know, it's very black and white. Uh, most people come out with really, uh, they're, they're disconnected from their mind and their body because they're just taught to intellectualize. They have a hard time in relationships, um, being emotional and to express emotions and it's just and now you know what we're dealing with is people coming back with brain injuries and used to you know in world war one and two they just died and now we're finding ways to keep them alive but to deal with the ptsd deal with the tbis um it's extremely uh difficult and challenging and and just to get the correct care, you know, um, is, is 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 challenging. So I mean, I've been follow- I've been in New I've been in New Bern what two years, and I've had five different primary doctors. Wow. So following your career in the military, what you set out to do? You've obviously been in healthcare. You've written. You're, you're an author. But what what were you? looking to do with your life and and how do you think it's turned out well what i was looking uh for in my life was to fix myself when i came out of the car wreck you know the first thing was was physically to get myself walking again they didn't think i would walk you know i was pronounced dead at the scene it took me four months in a hospital eight months in physical therapy um so i got the physical bit going but i never got help with the mental and the the emotional and the spiritual because when they asked my mother about getting Nicole some help with her you know mental health the trauma um, she said no she said God and Jesus are a therapist and we don't need anybody else to help us and that really was a huge um, mistake and I wound up developing an eating disorder almost right away after my accident, compulsive eating, because I didn't know, uh, I, I didn't understand why I was just pushing all this pain down, you know. And so it took me a while to find my way through therapy to understand what I had gone through. And then 20 years later, my memory came back. I was working at the CDC and um, coming out of uh, Starbucks one day, and I sat in my car, and I just instantly knew how I was sitting in the Corvette when the crash happened. And I had never had that memory before. The only memory I had was bright white light. That was it for 20 whole years. So that tells me about repressed memories and that they don't come up until your body is safe to handle them. And so what I did was went into the field of health and wellness and immediately became a dietitian because I was having, you know, binge eating. And I, I go, I got to figure out how to stop this, you know, not knowing that it was a mental um, uh, issue, you know, for the most part. And so I thought if I just ate the right stuff, then that was going to 
clear it up. And that's, of course, not true. And so that's why I went into nutrition. And then when I went to work at the CDC at public health, I thought I could make, you know, a difference in what people were, their lifestyles, you know, their physical activity, all those kind of things. And then, then I started realizing that people know a lot of this information and they can't do it. So what's preventing them from being able to sustain the behavior change? Why do they sabotage themselves? Then I started looking into the emotions and um, uh, found a technique called neuroemotional technique. And so that gets at the unconscious um, of why you keep replaying the same thing when you get triggered, when you get under stress, because your body never it never released the emotions from way back when. You didn't deal with it from an emotional standpoint. So you go back to like a six-year-old or a seven-year-old or whatever the, the similar situation that's in the present triggered. And so you've got to deal with that in order to clear those emotions. Otherwise, you keep reacting like a six- or seven-year-old. So talk to me about your life as an author. You, you had sent me a note recently that your book went to number one. You're pretty ecstatic about it. So talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I just got the note uh, two days ago from the company that I'm working with, and I, and they changed all the, the literature to national selling author. And I just I looked at it, and I'm just like, is that me? You know, it's, it's stunning because I've co-authored nutrition books before, but I've never written my own book. And this, of course, is very personal. It's a labor of love. I'm being honest. I put myself out there. Um, it's my truth. And um, I'm being very vulnerable, to be honest with you, Joe. And people are responding to that. And I think um, I was really shocked. Uh, it's only been out a week. And that's, you know, what, where it's at, you know, and, and the social media hadn't even started with it. So I, uh, and that's all paperback. Kindle just opened up and the hard copy still not out yet. So clearly, I think this is a hot topic for people um, with the pandemic. You know, a lot of people died alone, and people have a lot of fears about death. And it's time for people to start confronting some of these fears, bring them out into the open, and start truly living. Because if you are living in fear, you're not living life. What is it that you look forward to the most every day? And everything that you do, what is it that, that brings you the most joy that you look forward to? You know, talking to you today, I am sitting here, I am smiling so big because this is what I was meant to do, okay? When my, when my memory came back and I went to the other side, I was told your mission, you, you're going to need to tell people not to be afraid of death. And I was like, what? What does that even mean? You know, and it's taken me another 20, almost 20 years to figure that out, to get this book out, to have myself integrated with my mind and my body, my soul, to understand what the soul is and what your spirit is and how to work with all of that and still be human, you know, and, and, and be gentle with yourself and what it means to truly love yourself, you know, because that's where it has to start. And so, I my book is based on the 10 common lessons from near-death experiences. And the first one is, we do not die. And I was like, that's just it. We don't die. Our, it, we, we are these eternal sparks of God. And it's like a balloon, 
you know, like a heart balloon, and you cut the string when you die, and the balloon just floats straight up, right? So that's like our soul. Um, except for people, I think, that are uh, bad people, that have done evil things, that are abusive and greedy and corrupt. I think that they have, uh, they're going to go through a wobble, like in between the stages that they have to figure out. But, um, these lessons are all positive, and I want people to start understanding we need to reframe death from gloom and doom to a positive stance. We do go on. This is not the end. Well, I'm glad I'm a tiny vehicle in getting that out there. I think that's something that is something a lot of people don't understand, and people that go through a near-death experience like you, and they can say, hey, look, I've seen what that other side looks like. I think that's paramount as humans down here. I think we all kind of go through this mystery of what is it like, and then we have people like you that are like, I've been there. You know, this is the message. I think that yeah. uh, we should grab onto that more. Yeah. We are a very, our society in particular in the U.S. Uh, is in death denial. You know, we just don't think we're going to die. We don't prepare for it. Even we, we can be told a hundred times to get our wills done, get our power of attorney, and the majority of people still have not done those kind of things. And those are major things to help prevent your estate from getting tied up in court, more or less other things, you know? You know, I, I'm thinking about all of these things that have gone into your life, and I'm curious, who have been either role models or heroes for you? Well, my husband has been my first. Um, he is absolutely my anchor, my rock. I didn't get married till I was 40 years old. So women uh, out there that are still looking, there are available men, okay? <laughs> Don't lower your standards. <laughs> um, so, And I moved to Hawaii. I was at the CDC in Atlanta, and I went out there on a detail for um, the state of Hawaii. And, I, of course, who doesn't fall in love with Hawaii and the aloha there? But it's much harder living there than being a visitor there. And what I realized there, you know, after being there um, for uh, three or four months was that I really wanted to live there and give it a shot. And then two weeks later, I met my now husband. And um, I probably wouldn't have stayed in Hawaii if I hadn't met him because it really is a difficult place in it to live. And it's expensive. And there's not one majority uh, ethnicity there, you know. So you're, it, it's very different being back here in the South where the, the primary ethnicities are African-American and Caucasian, you know. Um, there it's, it's all types of people, which was really good for me um, to be exposed to that. But he would be number one, and he has been my rock and my anchor and so supportive of me. And I dedicated my book to him because when he married me, he could see in me what I could not see in myself. And now I can see that part of me in me, and I understand now why I came back. So if you could be one person that's alive on the planet right now, who would it be? Is it, can it be someone who's dead who's come back? Well, I guess it could be. Yeah, let's, let's, especially with your experiences, let's, uh, you, can, you can run the gamut. Okay. I think I would like to be, I think I would like to know or talk to Jesus because I would like to get his perspective on people, how they are interpreting what he said and is that correct and why, you know, um, why is, is 
why are things going in the direction that they're going? Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. You know, and I'm curious with all of the things that you've done, and you're obviously embarking on a new adventure with a very well-received book. When you, when you lean back at the end of the proverbial day and you think about what you've done with your life and how it's turned out, what are you the proudest of? What, what comes to mind you think, wow, that actually happened? That I came back, you know, because I didn't want to come back, Joe. I wanted to stay on the other side. And I think you'll hear that from a lot of near-death experiencers is they didn't want to come back because you knew that you were going to be, you know, when I saw my body down there on the ground, it's like, ooh, I have to go back and that body's going to be a lot of pain and suffering because uh, I had a lot of freaking injuries, you know. Uh, so I think, you know, coming back, I now am glad I'm back because now I understand why I needed to come back. It's like I rewrote my soul contract to come back because I had two code blues, um, you know, seven weeks in ICU, four months in the hospital. They had actually lost me on the operating table one, at one moment, already called it, told my parents, you know, I'm sorry, she's gone, get the funeral going. Um, and then the nurse comes back, she, we got her going again. So I tried to check out a couple more times after that, and I, I never did. So I've got a really, uh, my military angel has had to do a lot of work to keep me here. And now I can understand why, and I'm grateful for it. And I, it all makes sense to me, but it's taken me 30, almost 39 years to make sense of it all. And, that's why this book hasn't come out earlier. You know, a lot of people will push out books really quickly. You know, oh, I had this happen to me last year. But this has been a journey, and writing this book has helped heal me. And that is probably the number one thing is it healed me. So I hope that my stories and the lessons learned can help others because I know people are struggling, especially with the pandemic, not being able to say, you know, be there with their loved ones when they passed and um, feeling that, you know, you're judged, you know, you are, you're not judged on the other side. Let me get that one out there too. You know, it's, we, you know, love is all that matters and it's really all that exists. And that's what God is, is love. There's no duality with God. God is not punishing. God is not judgmental. God is not, you know, uh, fighting with the devil, you know, uh, that's not God at all. Um, those religions got it wrong, and those belief systems are not true. But so many of us were conditioned into that, that there was just, you know, you better follow these rules or you're a bad person and you're going to hell. And that's a hard one to reconcile, you know, for a lot of people. It's interesting with, you know, talking about, you know, writing being a, a therapeutic activity and really almost cathartic. It's, I've always felt like that. I've written for a long, long time, and I always feel like that was almost kind of therapy, you know, it was mm -hmm. inexpensive, mm -hmm. some of the best kind of therapy that's out there. Um, one more thing I did want to add, too. It's interesting you keep talking about Hawaii. I remember in my 20s when I used to sit around with my friends and talk about my life, I, I wanted to do two things at that point. I wanted to have a jazz radio show, and I wanted to live in Hawaii. And I've done half of it, that's what I do now. <laughs> I wanted to have a hammock. Well, I, well, I, hope, have a you're making a lot of, I hope you're making a lot of money doing this because you're going to need a lot to go live in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not making anything. That's why I'm here in Kansas City. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's, that, that's the high and hard. But you just never know how 
life will pan out, but it's good to have no, dreams for no. sure. No, no, I mean, I, did, I had no idea my book would go to number one in basically a week. And yeah. my, social, my social media has all been screwed up because they've been sending all these, these auto things that were supposed to come out starting last week to another Nicole Kerr. They're showing up on someone else's Facebook, not mine. And so with oh, all wow. these, these, these things going on, you know, it's still selling. And I'm just going, oh, my goodness. So that's a spirit thing, totally. You know, when something is ready and you're ready, um, I've been spending my whole life getting ready for this. And it's an important message. And we need um, – we need to talk about it. We need to have discussions about what is your concept of God. You know, what do you really believe when you pass because you are, you know, and um, bring it out in the open and talk to kids about it because kids do pass too. And, you know, I just, my nephew's um, best friend, 21, just uh, passed away and they don't know if it was accidental or if it was suicide with the opioid epidemic at some that's something he took with lace with fentanyl. So, you know, it's, it's just you never know. I think that's the thing with death. I certainly didn't think I was going to die at 19. Didn't even register in my head that that could even happen. You know, that's something that's way down the line. So people need to prepare themselves just like they prepare themselves to go to school and to learn and things like that. And it needs to be talked about more and discussed more so it doesn't have a fear element around it. So everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your, your fans, but ultimately you're the one that's living your life. Who do you think you are? Mm, I am, I guess I wanted to say um, I am love, I'm light, I'm uh, hopefully a blessing to people. Uh, uh, my human side of me is, you know, challenged with uh, physical, um, you know, injuries that I still have to manage today. Uh, so it's, you know, it's that duality of spirituality and humanality. You're, you're both. So how do you manage both? You know, I don't always have a good day. But I would like to say I'm a, I'm a light worker, you know, and I'm a bridge of things coming into a new way of being in the world because these old systems and these old belief systems that were handed down to us need to break down because they're not true and they're sabotaging us becoming the best of what we were created to be. That's a great answer. Nicole, thank you for opening up. Thank you for taking some time out. Good luck with the book and everything as we move forward. I really appreciate you opening up with your story. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate you, and I appreciate the questions and blessings, and aloha. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, music, and medicine around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.